From the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, this is the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Every two weeks, we'll discuss recent developments and exciting topics in the technology and internet law and policy space. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a member of the fourth cohort of Foundry Fellows. The Foundry is a collaborative organization for internet law and policy professionals who are passionate about disruptive innovation. In 2018, the Oversight Board was created to help Meta, formerly Facebook, answer some of the most difficult questions around freedom of expression online. What to take down, what to leave up, and why. This week, Foundry Fellow Mary Bagdasarian chatted with Julia Wono, member of the Oversight Board, on the Board's first annual report, interesting decisions and learnings, and the Board's future. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for joining Tech Policy Grind. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Mary, for asking. Very happy to be here. Thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with us. Um, So let's jump right into the topic of today's podcast. So the focus for today's episode is on the Oversight Board, which is a unique non-judicial mechanism. Uh, composed of experts from around the globe and tasked with making online content moderation more more human rights-centric and compliant with international human rights obligations. I know a lot of people have heard of the Oversight Board, but I would love to start our discussion with really um, explaining what the board is, uh, who can apply to the board, and how it operates. So we would love to hear your insights as a member of the Oversight Board. Sure. Uh, Well, as you rightly says, it's a non-judicial mechanism, a body of 23 now, 23 experts from around the world uh, who are located in various places, including UK, uh, Indonesia, Taiwan, uh, the United States and many other places, Australia, etc. And uh, we all come together to make binding decisions on Facebook and Instagram's content moderation processes and decisions. So very concretely, um, if your publication as a user has been taken down by the companies, Facebook and Instagram, and you disagree with that decision, you think that there was a, a, a wrong enforcement of the community standards, which are the policies that apply to content publication by the users, on those two platforms, well, you can appeal to the board and request that for a review of your of your case and your publication state down. The other uh, the other way through which we can look at cases and make reviews is also for users who think that others' publications should not be available. So let's say you see disinformation that you did not post that someone else posted. You see disinformation, you think it shouldn't be on the platform, but that Facebook hasn't taken action on it yet or Instagram. Well, then you can also appeal to the oversight board for a review of that decision not to take down uh, the alleged disinformation content. And last but not least, the company itself can also require from us um, uh, decisions on specific case, on specific contents. But also the the company can request from us some policy advisory uh, requests to help them make their community standards and content policies in general more 
human rights respectful. So yes, this is what the the oversight board does. Um, we've been operating since May 2022, 2020, sorry, May 2020. So it's been, I mean, we were launched in May 2020, but we started really taking cases in October of the same year. So it's been, I would say a little over a year and a half that we've been working on this. And uh, we've just recently published our very first annual report, which covered really a year, um, several quarters in a year and a full year. And very, we have some quite interesting learnings from that. I'm sure we'll discuss that. But this is a general um, presentation of the oversight board. Thank you so much for sharing that. I will definitely um, dig deeper into the, you know, the first annual report. But before we move there, so uh, it's clear that oversight board is an appellate body uh, in a way. So to get to the oversight board, the user needs to most the mostly used uh, path is to appeal to Facebook or Instagram and then go to oversight board. And I think our audience will also be interested to hear what happens after the user applies. What is the let's say, internal yeah. process at the board to to take the case or not, because as we know, the board receives way more cases than it can handle. Um, so I'm curious uh, as to what happens, how the selection uh, process works. Sure. So once you, once you request to appeal to the oversight board, and of course, after you have exhausted all the appeals mechanism that exists within Facebook and Instagram, then you should be provided with an appeals number, um, which puts your case in the queue. And we have a, a great case selection uh, team that does the, well, there's an automatic filter and, and most of the work is manual, automatic, because, you know, there are some appeals that are absolutely not fitting within the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the characters of what you would expect for, from an appeal. But uh, most of the work is being done manually. And that's why I wanted here to talk about the team, the case selection team that's working every day tirelessly to triage all these cases and uh, to surface those that could. Um, so the, the board has set very important criteria that we look at when we decide to work on one specific case and compared to another. The first one is um, whether or not the case poses a significant question or, yeah, surfaces a significant challenge with regards to how a policy, a Facebook or Instagram policy is being applied, whether or not it, it poses also a big challenge for freedom of expression online and human rights uh, and for society as a whole, I should say. And, uh, and, and, and last but not least, we also, of course, try to look at cases from making sure that, first of all, the, the decision that we'll make or the case that we'll take um, potentially could impact users beyond the individual that is concerned uh, uh that is concerned by the um, the issue or the specific case. So um, we th th those are our three criteria. And on top of that, I would say, of course, we try to look at cases that are not only located in the United States or in Europe, but also really looking 
with a global lens at uh, Latin America, um, Africa, and specifically Sub-Saharan Africa uh, or uh, Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, where we know there are lots of challenges also with regards to content content moderation. So um, once that triage has been made, the cases are presented to a case selection committee, which is um, uh, which is composed of four board members, four or five. I I probably have my math wrong here, but let's say between four and five members um, who will basically discuss which case will go forward and will, first of all, be presented to the legal compliance team because we have to make sure that the case do not involve significant privacy violations. I mean, we don't want to be in any way agents of privacy violations. Absolutely not. And secondly, of course, um, the, the remit of our mandate is limited only to cases that do not involve, imply a legal obligation for Facebook. So typically, anything that relates to terrorist content will be covered by a law, by an existing law. So either um, a national law or a regional law. For instance, the European Union has several codes of conduct on that that impose obligations to platforms. So typically, the oversight board can look at that. Same with, um, uh, you know, ch- child safety content, CSAM. Uh, we usually won't look at those because those are covered extensively by, by laws. So really what we look at is what we call usually the lawful but awful content, you know, things that can that are not forbidden per se by any laws, uh, but that the Twitter, oh, sorry, the meta policies of Facebook or Instagram policies, community standards do not allow um, and, and how to, yeah, how to strike the right balance with the right to expression and the necessary safety that people want to feel when they're using those different social media platforms. After that, after that, you know, legal legal aspect has been solved. Well, the cases that can go forward are then distributed to panels, panels of five board members, uh, a little bit more because now we're 23. So uh, it will depend. Some groups will have a bit more. Um, And that panel will be tasked with looking into details, uh, looking in details into the case and uh, coming up with the first decision and then the rest of the group will be uh, solicited for views, opinions, and voting on the, on the decision. Thank you so much for these insights. Uh, It's interesting to really understand the specific scope um, that the oversight board is tasked to uh, handle and also issue interesting um, decisions. So without further ado, let's jump into the first um, annual report. Um, so this report, as you mentioned, covers the period from October 2020 to December 2021. And uh, I think it will be interesting to hear your main takeaways around some trends or some statistics. And then later, I would love to dig deeper into some interesting cases and also the issues with implementation. But let's start with main takeaways. Yes, um, I think one of the most striking figure that I that helped me measure the amount of work that had been done is that, um, of course, so some people feel frustrated that the oversight board at the time of the 
the, the, the annual report publication had made only, and I'm using brackets because that's not me saying, but um, only um, 20, 25 decisions, okay? Individual, okay? Decisions on individual cases. But what I think is important to understand is that, like I said, we try to, to focus on cases that could have as much impact as possible on users beyond the individual case that's been, that we're working on. And uh, to do that, we use the means of recommendations that we can make within, when deciding on each case. We can make recommendations that can afterwards be, that have to be responded to by the company. So that means if we recommend XYZ, Facebook has to respond whether or not this recommendation, they will take it into account and implement it or not. And I would say that we've made more than 100 recommendations to the company. And out of those 100 and plus, the company has accepted to implement uh, and look into 86 of them, which is huge. It means potentially 86 policy changes, at least. And it, the policy changes in turn imply some other t changes, including technical changes. Uh, for instance, uh, if you... If, if the company the, the company has accepted to um, uh, let users know for what policy so what policy they had violated would justified the takedown believe it or not this was not so systematic before uh, in in a for, for anyone who's familiar with any form of rule of law principles of course, the right to know what you're being sanctioned is uh, is essential. Uh, so now the company has accepted to implement this, and that means design changes in the way the um, the in the user experience that you will have when from now on when your content is being taken down. You will have an explanation of what policy was violated, and uh, also something that we insisted with the, the companies also to let know when the machine was involved in the decision-making, whether your content had been automatically taken down or taken down after human review. So uh, all of these recommendations do imply some technical and design implementations afterwards. Uh, another very important recommendations we've made is to make sure that the, the community standards of the companies should be available in every, as many languages as possible, uh, and especially languages that are widely spoken by users, um, that the company has accepted to do that more consistently. It, it did, but you know, not all languages were translated with the same pace or were not translated at all. This is problematic, of course, for a company that purports to operate borderless, borderlessly, if that word exists. So um, in a borderless manner, let's say it like that. Um, Another recommendation that I can think of, which is extremely important for the oversight board, is developing a, a protocol for crisis situations. What are, how do your community standards apply when there is an exceptional situation, whether it's, a, let's say, an insurrection at the Capitol Hill, for instance, or if there is a war in Ukraine or in Ethiopia or anywhere else, when there is a conflict? Are, are, do your rules apply the same way as they would do normally? And um, that the company has also accepted to develop a, a crisis protocol or at least crisis policies to explain 
how their policies apply or do not apply in terms of in times of conflict hopefully and, and crisis hopefully that policy would be will be available uh, soon um the, the company has committed to publish that uh, at some point um yes these are some of the the the, the, the recommendations and, and and main key takeaways another key takeaway is of course so we need more and that's probably something that that's certainly something that the oversight board has to work more, even more on is, of course, enlarging the pool of cases that we're receiving, geographically, I mean. It is true that while many, we have received many cases from what some people would call the global south, what I increasingly call the global majority, because uh, conceptually it speaks more to a reality. Uh, there are more populations in the Southern Hemisphere and also the Southern Hemisphere is not always in the South. Anyway, so uh, there is, um, uh, we have received a a lot of cases coming from those places of the world, but it's true. Uh, Many also, many cases have come from Northern America and the United States specifically, um, which is great because it allows us to look at, like I said, issues that, poses significant challenges with regards to policy and, and public interest. But um, it, it, it's not a reflect of the user base of the company. It is true that many users now are located in places of the world where connectivity is exploding, growing exponentially, uh, and those places are located in what we call now the global south. So it's also important for us to be able to um, have more cases coming from from those parts of the world, specifically sub-Saharan Africa, which really accounts for very little number of cases. I think that the statistics is below 0.5%. I'm not even sure we reach 0.5% of cases come from, coming from sub-Saharan Africa, but we know there are significant challenges. And specifically, um, since the whistleblower Francis Hogan has you know, made some revelations with regards to some of the decisions that are made in terms of content moderation investments. Uh, It's very surprising to have so little cases coming from Sub-Saharan Africa. So it means definitely from the board that we will continue to invest efforts in speaking to audiences, users in that part of the world, but not only, I mean, everywhere around the world, but doubling down efforts uh, on places where we have less cases coming from. And speaking of cases, I would love to dig deeper into some of the interesting ones from the the pool that you mentioned. For instance, for me personally, the pro Navalny protest decision was very interesting because it actually over, overturned uh, Meta's decision based on its human rights um, responsibilities, even though the removal was in line with Meta's rules. Um, so I would love to hear some of the cases that you found most interesting uh, based on this annual report. So I think we've done a really great job in every cases. So it's very difficult for me to say I have a favorite, but I would say that cases that have particularly struck me with some of the systemic challenges that exist when it comes to content moderation and especially content moderation at scale, I would definitely talk about the Abdullah Ochalan case, which involved a publication uh, by a, a Facebook. It was a Facebook user who was commenting on 
the treatment, the solitary confinement of uh, Abdullah Öcalan, who is a leader of the PKK, a party that is banned in Turkey and also that is considered as a dangerous organization as per Facebook rules. And dangerous organizations, you're not allowed to talk about them. You're not allowed to praise them, to be more specifically. It's not talk, it's praising them. So expressing any form of support for them. Um, there is, a, there is a, a caveat to that policy that existed for a long time, but that hadn't been used by the moderator who decided to have this content takedown. The, the, the carve-out, sorry, was you can talk, you can all, okay, dangerous organizations cannot be praised, but you can actually discuss the human rights of the leaders or members of the said organization. And in that case, talking about the fact that the sol solitary confinement has been condemned internationally uh, as a punishment is something that refers to the human rights of the leader of the PKK. So it should have been allowed on the platform. But that policy carve-out had been lost at some point. And I think Meta, and that's something that I also appreciate with this, this you know, exercise that we're doing, because frankly, nothing has been done in this equivalent before. So it's really, we're doing experiment, you know, general experimentation. And I think that Meta has been quite honest um, telling us, responding to us um, in our, because when we receive a case, we receive the rationale for the from the company. Why did we take down this? Okay. And uh, we also are allowed to ask more questions to the company. And so what we asked the company was, how come, you know, how come people cannot talk about human rights of <laughs> dangerous organizations, leaders, for instance, and the company, frankly, admitted that they lost, I mean, something got lost in translation. The, the moderators did not have, did not, did not have knowledge of this policy carve out. So it speaks to the challenge of, of course, moderation at scale. And I would also say a company of this size operating everywhere around the world. It's not, it's not easy. I want to acknowledge that it's it's very difficult to have comprehensive consistent policies that apply everywhere around the world systematically the same way it's very difficult but obviously that's the ideal that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it of course that's the ideal which we should aim at and we should thrive as companies as organizations anywhere who's in anyone interested in making sure that we have online spaces that are um, that remain borderless because behind the consistent application of policy, there's this idea that, well, no matter where you are around the world, the rules apply the same to you. Um, so for me, it was a very interesting case to put that into perspective. Another very, I mean, we have so many cases, but another um, interesting and important case that I think we've worked on is so following the, the George Floyd events in assassination and demonstrations that followed in the United States, there was this, you know, awakening on uh, racial equality and racial justice issues around the world and including at a company like Facebook. And 
uh, Facebook at the time adopted a new community standard, I mean, modified its hate speech community standard to prevent the use of blackface. And we see, we received this case coming from the Netherlands, where, as you might be aware, there's a tradition uh, around Christmas, uh, the which is called Zwarte Piet, the Black Piet, uh, Zwarte Piet being um, an aide of, uh, I think, Santa Claus or one of, I mean, an aide <laughs> during Christmas. And he's usually represented with people, you know, rubbing their face with black, I mean, doing blackface, let's speak very frankly. And the, the practice has been a subject of debate and has been also, there have been some changes. I mean, it was very interesting to look at this case because it, 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 it showed how much, um, how much important platforms like Facebook are actually to our society, whether we like it or not. It's, it's true. Much, much of the public debates, much of the um, much of our citizens' lives almost now happen on, on connected online connected platforms. Uh, so, yes, I think this this case was interesting in ter- to understand that and also to understand how a new policy how how a company applies new policies as the company adopts them. So, there are many 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 all of them are very interesting, but. To respond to your question, I would say these two come up very rapidly in my mind. Definitely very interesting cases and very interesting analysis um, in the decisions. But I cannot not use this uh, opportunity to ask you about the cross-check uh, and the related yeah. uh, drama, let's call it, <laughs> around it. Yes, of course, I did not mention the most famous case that we've worked on, which is, of course, the access of former President Trump to his Facebook and Instagram accounts. During that case, there was lots, lots of learnings, lots of learnings, and including we learned about this system that exists and that basically to summarize, although that would not do justice at all to the uh, to the the, the cross check cross check mechanism or policy uh, mechanism. Well, cross check basically allows certain accounts. I mean, subjects certain accounts to uh, additional content review, different layers of content review, uh, and also ultimately allows for certain passes to policy violations to summarize really briefly um what we found out about this mechanism and when i say we i really mean society as a whole because before the trump decision unless you were a pundit really interested in you know i don't know policy carve-outs at Facebook. I don't think there are many because, first of all, the community standards have been published only, I mean, in a very comprehensive manner since 2018. So, I mean, unless you were really a pundit interested in those issues related to content policy, there were there would be very little chance that would, you would be aware of this program. So um, we asked, basically we asked, uh, I think, 40 40 plus questions to 
Facebook in the Trump case. And Facebook responded to many of them and some they left it, left them out. And some of the questions, one of the questions they responded to was we asked them whether or not the, the, the account of the president of the United States was subject to different policy enforcement. And they responded that they have this cross-check mechanism, but that it concerns just a few, just a few accounts, you know, not, no, no. I mean, just the bigger, just the bigger accounts. But what we found out a few months later um, through revelations by the, by the Wall Street Journal is that actually what we thought was just a few hundreds of accounts or even less were thousands, more than thousands of accounts, thousands and thousands of accounts who had been subject to the cross-check mechanism and not only uh, policy, you know, public figures uh, like presidents, but also some influencers. I mean, those we call now influencers and yeah, some public commentators. I mean, it was pretty much anyone who had a bit of a platform uh, of expression on the, on these two social media platforms, which are Facebook and Instagram. So, of course, the, the the figures were more impressive than what we thought, and that implies very serious consequences. How do you uh, consistently apply exceptions to an exceptional regime? I mean, this is a really very very interesting legal legal question, I think. And what's interesting is that so from these revelations by the Wall Street Journal, people were aware that they, it concerned way more people and had way more implications for society, and then. We um, required, I mean, the company agreed to request us to uh, publish a policy advisory opinion, because like I said, we do work on cases, but we also work on policy advisory requests that that come from the company. And so they, they sent us Crosscheck as a policy advisory uh, opinion request. We are currently working on it. It's been more than 10 months when... when in our, we recently had our first in-person plenary summit with the oversight board, and when we we had a great working session on on crosscheck, and when we were told by the administration that it's been more than ten months that we've been working on this, I was like, wow, this was this was massive. It was really really a lot of work because the the, the system has become so complex, and you, you'll find out about it when it's published. But it, it was difficult to work on it, and I think. Again, it speaks to the seriousness of the company and commitment of the company to, yes, do this, do this, ex, this experiment to this fullest, fullest extent and with as much as much honesty as possible. And uh, I mean, nothing forced them to send this. I mean, we don't. Nothing in our bylaws says you can mandate Facebook to send you X, Y, Z issue. No, we can't do that. It really depends on the company's willingness to do so. And so far, they have been pretty forthcoming, I should say, in, in, in many cases. Um, so, yes, that was about the cross-check program. But you'll find it about find it more about it soon when we publish the result of our policy advisory opinion. Definitely looking forward to reading um, the advisory opinion. I think it will be uh, very... Um, informative uh, because as you said nobody knew about this even the oversight board didn't know the full story so um, thank you for the important work on this especially um, and you mentioned that they are the um, meta facebook instagram um, 
management, employees, etc., are more forthcoming. Uh, and a related question, I think, to the administration and operations of the oversight board is the implementation of the opinions and decisions. Um, so mm -hmm. I know that um, late in, I think in 2021, according to the annual report, uh, the oversight board established an implementation working group. And then I think there is also um, another committee that uh, is following up on the actual uh, implementation of all the decisions and opinions. Um, so I would love to hear your perspective on this. Do you think this is going well? Uh, was it better than expected or was it worse? And what would you love to improve moving forward with this regard? Yes, I think, you know, the implementation, working group that that used to be a working group and now is has become a committee after we uh, modified our bylaws to provide for the creation of this committee i think the the story of this committee speaks to the agility of the oversight board the fact that we don't shy away from you know reorganizing ourselves if we think that it's in the interest of the mission that we uh, have been tasked with so um the implementation committee was set up as a working group first in, in 2021 um, and, and, and is now a robust, has now a robust team that includes data scientists who can help us track the success and measure the success of our decisions uh, and recommendations uh, through, yeah, data analysis of how many potentially how many content are potentially concerned by the decisions that we're making? Um, and we also have very regular interactions with the equivalent of the implementation team at Facebook, who has been tasked with exactly the same, the same thing, tracking the success of how Facebook and Instagram have been implementing the recommendations of the oversight board and the decisions of the oversight board. So um, that frequent interaction and dialogue gives us a, I would say, a rather accurate, as accurate as possible, because of course there's so, I mean, it's, we're talking about billions and billions of content. So, um, but we are, we are really working hard on, on, on defining in a more, even more accurate way what success means for in terms of implementation uh, beyond just the data uh, success in terms of how the platform itself is transformed and whether or not we can, we can see that uh, in the, because ultimately our aim is to make sure that users are treated more, way more free, fairly by the company. Um, what fairly means is uh, back to what we were discussing earlier, letting people know why they're being sanctioned in the first place, responding to their requests for appeal, um, many other things that are coming into consideration uh, for a social media platform like Facebook and Instagram. And, uh, and, and, and I would say so far, it's, it's been very exciting to work. I, I'm personally very interested in the implementation and so I've participated in many of the conversations. Um, I've read a lot about the challenges. One of the challenges, of course, is, again, the scale, the differences in languages. I mean, um, let's, let's give an example. We made this decision about uh, 
Nazi quotes. It was one of our first decisions. So it was a case where a user had posted two or three years ago, had posted a, a, a status uh, about, so quoting uh, an alleged quote of Joseph Goebbels. It wasn't really him who said that, or he didn't say it exactly that way, but basically the quote was saying, well, appeal to the... Um, appeal to the sentiments of the masses to be able to manipulate them. I'm paraphrasing because that's not exactly what exactly the wording of the quote, but that was the intention of the, the quote. Um, and the, the, the aim of the user was in, originally to criticize the Trump administration. And so the person had posted this two years ago and then was prompted as a memory uh, for those who are, Facebook users, you sometimes are prom prompted to reshare re previous publications by Facebook. I mean, previous of your publications, you're prompted by Facebook to reshare them. And so um, he was prompted to reshare the publications, except that this time it was not okay anymore to have that quote available. So it was taken down. And so the person appealed. Um, and the, the, in, in the, in the statement of the user, because users are able to make a statement to the oversight board, they said, well, I, I was criticizing the Trump administration. I mean, I was criticizing a politician. I mean, I, I wasn't supporting because the post had been taken down for support to the Nazis. Nazis are, of course, not allowed on, on Facebook and praising them. Absolutely not. But so, yes, um, I'm, I'm mentioning this because uh, one of the first things that we tried to do was to see whether or not we could see the impact of the decision. So we told the company, well, there's absolutely, you should be, you should give clear example of, of support. Obviously when the, when the user himself comments and says, this is intended for any government that tries to manipulate the masses to secure their power, including the Trump administration. Well, according to the assessment of the, the user, of course, that's not the board talking, uh, but you, well, how do you implement this at scale and make sure that other publications that are also using the same quote in the same with the same aim are not taken down unjustly? And yes, that has proved to be challenging, not only because of the language, but also because there could be some, uh, not all publications are in text. Some of them are images with text on top of it. So there's a lot of automation that's involved and that's very helpful, absolutely. Um, um, but nevertheless, the contextual information is is not always easy to grasp so um that's something that we're that's one of the challenges of faced by facebook that an instagram that the board is increasingly being familiar made familiar with because we're seeing it in the implementation working group as we're all ourselves trying to measure the success of our uh, recommendations and decisions but it's i would say one of the most exciting part of this initiative is that It's not just that we're having an empty dialogue. There is a follow-up. We ask questions. We want results. And when we don't have those results, we say publicly. <laughs> so, yeah. Definitely, uh, Oversight Board is a great experiment. And I, uh, we all know how much criticism it received in the beginning. But I think with more work and, you know, seeing more results, um, maybe we'll see this experiment succeed in a way that nobody really expected. Um, so I think my last questions will be about the you know, future of the oversight board and uh, your 
personal perspective on this. So what is next for the oversight board uh, moving forward? What can we expect? Any new developments? Will they be? Will there be any expansion of the mandate or anything that you think may be important to share? This is such a, an important and tiny question. In terms of what the future looks like, um, specifically on the mandate, obviously we have the oversight board has shown that. You know, we could be where we were not expected initially. Um, one of the first decisions that we made was related to algorithms, algorithmic content moderation. And um, it is true that if you read our bylaws, you won't see AI anywhere. That's for sure. <laughs> you won't see algorithms. That's absolutely sure, too. Um, but nevertheless, well, mm, much of the moderation now happens through algorithm and our work is looking at moderation. So we had to look at this um, content that had been taken down or, well, taken down because of algorithms. So that's one thing. Um, we we are keen on, you know, being helpful where society needs us, where users need us, and also where the company needs us, but probably doesn't didn't know it would need us when the project was initiated uh, almost five years ago now. So um, uh, that that entails, of course, looking at new products by the company. Uh, I'm thinking specifically, of course, of the metaverse. We're, of course, paying attention, reading a lot, um, asking questions when we can, uh, and, and, and see whether our model, yes, would fit that new space, and charter territory, uh, to say the least. Um, but yes, again, the, one idea that I would like probably users, listeners, sorry, to live with is that the oversight board is really a, a, an object of its time and that it leaves in in the, we are agile and we're, we do not shy away from responding to challenges when, when needed. Um, in terms of forms of engagement. Um, like I said, we absolutely will do double down on efforts in, in places of the world where we have less appeals from, uh, but nevertheless, where there's very serious content moderation issues that haven't probably haven't even been surfaced yet. I mean, I would be very interested in us being able to surface those issues before they become uh very big problems uh, for the platform. So um, hopefully we can do that too. And um, um, in terms of workload, there's one aspect that we've been exploring, one processual, processual aspect that we've been exploring is bundling more cases together. Uh, when there is a big issue in society, a big debate, uh, we, we usually receive appeals that are related to more or less the same issue. One example is when there was the, uh, you know, the takeover of the Taliban's in, in Afghanistan, we did receive a lot. The Taliban's are not are a dangerous organization on Facebook. And so you're not allowed to talk about them. And we've received some cases related to the ability to report about what the Taliban's were doing. So, um, all this to say, we're trying to explore how to bundle cases when we receive an influx of a huge influx of cases related to the same type of issue and related to the same geographic space, for instance. Um, 
And also uh, there, we are also thinking about an easier process for enforcement, obvious enforcement errors. And I'm thinking specifically about, well, automation that takes down REST simply because these are REST when we know that there are carve-outs to the nudity policy that prevents, you know, from showing female breasts. Well, we know there are carve-outs related to breastfeeding, related to uh, breast cancer awareness, et cetera, et cetera. So how can we treat those obvious enforcement errors, which are also acknowledged by the company itself? How can we treat those in a more expeditive manner so that it's, you know, it doesn't require us to spend 90 days on something that's so obvious? So um, yes, these are some of the priorities for, for the month and, and years to come. And it's very, very exciting time uh, for the oversight board. Thank you so much, Julie. Uh, my very last question to close us off will be, if you had a magic wand, uh, what would you add uh, or change in the mandate or operations of the oversight board? You personally, I mean. <laughs> if I had a magic wand, I would probably add extra hours to a 24 hours day. <laughs> no, no, um, no. Aside from that, I think um, it, it's, the the organization that we have is extremely beautiful um, in terms of the fact that we have we're all colleagues around the world. Um, but probably if I had a magic wand, I would. It's very difficult and it's quasi impossible, but <laughs> I would maybe find first of all add extra hours to twenty four hours a day and probably um, make the time differences less of a challenge in terms of, okay, I have colleagues, including myself, who wake up very early most of the time and other colleagues who stay up late, very late a lot uh, for the oversight board. That's not a complaint. Of course, that's, I mean, I'm very happy to start my day very early and we have an incredible, and I insist on that, incredible administration that tries to find what they call golden hours where, you know, it's most convenient for everywhere in the group, everyone, sorry, in the group who's located all over the place around the world. But it's a huge and challenging task for them. So, yes, um, the, we now, thankfully, and I hope that will continue to be possible, now, thankfully, we're allowed to have more in-person interactions with make it more difficult to uh, make, make the challenges of the time differences less burdensome. Uh, but yes, maybe the magic one would be more opportunities to meet up with my colleagues and, and interact in person and get things done uh, in the same time zone uh, altogether. So... That would be my magic wand. <laughs> my magic wish, if I had a magic wand. Yes. Yeah, that sounds wonderful, Julie. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And I hope my, our audience learned more about the Oversight Board. And I personally will be following uh, closely um, and looking forward to the policy advisory opinions uh, and the new decisions. And uh, best of luck with... Uh, all the new plans uh, for the oversight board. I'll be really curious to have this conversation next year when you issue the uh, second annual report. Thank you very much, Marie, for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tech Policy Grind podcast. 
be sure to check out The Foundry on LinkedIn and Twitter, and if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. It really helps out the show. If you're interested in supporting the show, reach out to us at foundrypodcasts at ilpfoundry.us. You can find our email in the show notes as well. The Tech Policy Grind podcast comes out every other Thursday. See you next time. The Tech Policy Grind podcast was created by the fellows at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. It's produced and edited by me, Rima Musa, with support from the incredible Foundry fellows of Class 4. Special thanks to Mary Bagdasarian and Allison McReynolds for their support in bringing this episode to air.